0: Planetary Radio is Public Radio's only weekly series about space exploration. I'm Matt Kaplan, and I hope you'll join me as we explore Mars, look for life in the universe, and fly through the rings of Saturn. We'll talk with the men and women, scientists and dreamers who are guiding us to a future beyond Earth. And don't forget to enter our weekly space trivia contest. That's Planetary Radio, Mondays at 5.30 p.m., right here on KUCI.
1: Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Hi, I'm Lloyd. I'm this show's engineer, and welcome to Privacy Piracy. Our host is Mari, and if you don't know her, she's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. And she sits on the advisory board of the State of California Office of Privacy Protection. And she's also a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on TV, on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, lots of other shows. And she had a 90-minute PBS special couple of years ago called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Evening, Murray.
2: Good evening. I am so excited tonight. We have a fabulous show. First of all, you know, just a few weeks ago, we got to know a bunch of the PA hosts here at K- KUCI, and I got to know a great guy named Dan Sung. Sang If I could say his last name, I'd be even better.
1: Close. That was close.
2: Yeah. And anyway, he was, we were all sitting around talking, and he told me this incredible story about what happened to him and about this fabulous attorney who represented him against the CIA and I asked him if he'd be on the show and I was so thrilled that also his attorney all the way from Washington DC agreed to be on the show so let me introduce both of them and tell you and then we're going to get started with both of them with Dan right here in the studio thank you Dan for coming and and for Kate all the way in Washington DC so let me just first start out with Dan Dan Sang is a researcher radio talk show host and privacy advocate he um, He is one of our special, wonderful, longtime DJs as well here at KUCI. He hosts the show Subversity every Monday morning from 9 to 10 a.m., which you must not miss. And um, Dan is also UCI's Asian American Studies, Politics, and Economics bibliographer. He runs the Social Science Data Archives at the University of California, Irvine. I bet you didn't know that, Lloyd. Since 1993, he has hosted his show, Subversity, a long time. This is a great public affairs show. And for many years, he covered civil unliberties for the Orange County Weekly. He has written op-ed pieces for the Los Angeles Times on First Amendment issues. He's co-founded the Asian American United in Philadelphia and the Alliance Working for Asian Rights and Empowerment right here in Orange County. He successfully sued the CIA for spying on him. The case, Sang versus CIA, was settled out of court with a promise from the CIA never to spy on him again. He studied government at the University of Redlands and political science and library science at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And he was a Fulbright research scholar in Vietnam in 2004. So we have a top celebrity sitting here right with us. And then also I'm going to introduce right now, because we're going to go back and forth with both of these wonderful Celebrities. We're also going to introduce Kate Martin. Since 1992, Kate Martin, um, an attorney, has been the director of the Center for National Security Studies, which is a nonprofit human rights and civil liberties organization in Washington, D.C. Kate Martin has taught strategic intelligence and public policy at George uh, Georgetown University Law School. And also served as general counsel to the National Security Archive, which is a research library located at w- George Washington University. She did that from 1995 to 2001. Since 1998, uh, 1988, she has litigated and testified before Congress on the entire range of national security and civil liberties issues. In fact, I had the opportunity to read some of her testimony. Very impressive. She has many publications, and I just want to go further that previously she was a partner with Washington, D.C., law firm of Nussbaum, Owen, and Webster. And she graduated from the University of Virginia Law School. Hey, I was there, Charlottesville, Virginia, um, where she was a member of Law Review, and she graduated from Pomona College. You can learn more about the Center for National Security Study at our website and also at www.cnss.org. So, Kate, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me. Well, this is really thrilling. So, Dan, Dan is sitting here taking pictures. <laughs> I'm going to tell him to put the camera down. And Dan, tell me, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened to you, and and how you got Kate involved, and then we'll ask her about some of the legal issues.
0: Uh, actually, the I was working with a magazine that, that uh, actually is critical of the CIA and covers um, covers his activities, especially its kind of uh, bad activities. And so I thought maybe um, the, the CIA must have a file on me. So I actually wrote a Freedom of Information Act, Privacy Act request for anything they had on me. And uh, they wrote back and said it was, uh, they couldn't release anything because it was national security. Uh-oh. <laughs> and so I was kind of stumped. But the uh, ACLU has actually um, um, a booklet that um, shows you how you can appeal denials. So I did appeal, I thought, but then when I appealed it, they said, that's when they told me that I couldn't get it because of national security. And so uh, I figured that I had to go to court. Uh, But the ACLU booklet, the manual also had a form you could fill out to file a sample uh, lawsuit. And so I actually just wrote my own lawsuit. I had a friend uh, who was a lawyer, and her secretary wasn't there that day, so I could use her computer. And it had the formatting on the paper for the paper on her uh, computer printout. I guess on her computer uh, printer, and so I could actually design the form, and I just copied it from this manual, and I said I'm a P- uh, you know I'm f- uh, filing this under the whatever freedom privacy of information and yeah. and, and privacy yeah. actually a privacy act oh because right. it applies to an individual, so it's a privacy act um, right. lawsuit. And then when they started coming back with all these deadlines saying that I had to meet, otherwise they would toss out the case, mm-hmm. I freaked out. And yeah. I, I started looking for a lawyer.
2: So how did you find Kate?
0: Uh, I actually found it security. I, 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 uh, at first, the ACLU wasn't interested. But then they said, well, maybe you should talk to somebody in Washington because this is kind of a national security case. <laughs> and so, so I was able to contact her. Uh, and then the ACLU locally uh, in LA also took on the case together with her.
2: Okay, Kate. Now tell us. Um, tell us first of all the goals of your organization.
3: Well, the center has been around for more than thirty years, actually, and was founded uh, in the aftermath of the revelations about CIA and FBI spying on Americans. Mm-hmm. That were all of those revelations were documented, and the misdeeds in what's called the Church Committee Report, which I commend to everyone to read. And then there was this period in the 70s where Congress undertook to uh, outlaw lots of the abuses by the intelligence agencies. And the center was founded to work on all of those issues, basically to stop FBI spying and CIA misdeeds. And so uh, we were for many years uh, a project of the ACLU and another organization, kind of unique. We had a kind of unique relationship with the ACLU. And then in uh, the mid-90s, we left the ACLU because we wanted to do some work with human rights advocates overseas in Eastern Europe and Latin America in order to help and establish a legal regime to put under control the the remnants of what had been the KGB and the secret police in that part of the world, and and the military police, uh, the military intelligence agencies in Latin America. So we've done uh, national security classification issues, government surveillance of Americans issues, um, all of those issues for all of those years and since september 11th of course we've been really busy because there's been this tremendous assault on civil liberties that dan's case uh was many years before september 11th was was very is still very relevant to what's going on today
2: Let's talk a little bit about Dan's case, because his was back, what, in the late 90s, right? What was it, 1998 or something? Was that when your case, or what was it, Dan?
0: It was earlier, uh, uh, but... Uh, uh, 1993? I, mean was, uh, I filed it early in the early 90s, yeah. Right. And I didn't want them to spy on me, and uh, because I realized that there was a law that prohibited spying on a- political activists. Uh, the Privacy Act, which still exists, the USA priva- U.S. Privacy Act, right. uh, actually forbids uh, retention or d- collection or retention of any f- material relating to First Amendment protected activities of not just citizens but also permanent residents.
2: Right. the The secret databases. So let's let's talk about these legal issues. So, when Dan came to you, how did how did you end up with this case, and and what were the thoughts that you had at the time? Well. Um, We got lots of requests for help, and most people,
3: we were very small, and we couldn't help very many people. But Dan, who had, as a layperson, drafted a great complaint against the CIA. (laughs) And
0: (laughs) (laughs) it was, and
3: I could not believe that the CIA was doing this, because what had happened is the CIA had spied on uh, anti-war protesters during the Vietnam War and that had come out and there'd been a big scandal about it and the then cia director had basically said we shouldn't have done that and we agree we won't do it anymore and then as dan mentioned in nineteen seventy eight they passed the privacy act and the privacy act prohibits intelligence agencies like the cia from keeping information on americans political activities and dan came along and cia had a file on him and he didn't work for the cia and he had no connection to the cia and so they had no excuse for having a file on him and not only did they have no excuse for having a file on him but they had a file on him for a flagrantly unconstitutional reason and that was because he had worked on the magazine that he mentioned and that magazine was Covered Action Bulletin, right, Dan?
0: Covered Action Information Bulletin, yeah. Now, uh, later it was called Covered Action Quarterly.
3: And that magazine was extremely critical of the CIA. And so basically the CIA was keeping tabs illegally on uh, Americans who were critical of the agency. And so that was, that case and the issues presented were at the core of what we worked on and what we tried to fight for
0: a- actually the first article in my file was a review i did of anti-surveillance magazines including covert action <laughs> for a library <laughs> journal so that was actually a a, a, a like a b- magazine review section i did for library journals which is a bowker publication so that was the first thing in my file
2: right so tell us about uh, the the Privacy Act and how it came into being, because that really is kind of the core of this, right? And and let's talk about the Privacy Act, because it sure doesn't seem to have um, much uh, effectiveness right now. C- can you tell us about a little bit more
3: about it, Kate? Sure. The Privacy Act uh, was passed in 1970, 19- 74, I'm sorry, not 78. Yeah, 74. In 74, and Senator Sam Urban, one of the great heroes of the Congress, there's nobody like him in the present Congress, (laughs) was the author. And it's interesting because if you go back and read the history of the act, what they were worried about was that the government would be able to use its new computer capabilities to compile dossiers on people. And there are these great quotations in the history of the Privacy Act where Irvin and others say that every time the government learns a little bit more information about one of its citizens, you lose a little freedom. And so the Privacy Act was an effort to restrict the collection of information on Americans and how much information could be computerized and kept. But unfortunately because obviously the government has to have lots of information on lots of people, and for some very good reasons, you know, ranging from you know, the names of people who get Medicare benefits to the names of people they're investigating for crimes and the witnesses to such crimes, et cetera. is that the Privacy Act ended up being a very complicatedly written statute, And while its goals were great, I'm not sure over time that it was very effective in achieving them. The only real victory that I've ever had with the Privacy Act was in Dan's case.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so they in other words, if, if I understand also in the, the Privacy Act is that there weren't supposed to be any secret databases, correct? I mean, there would be databases, but they weren't supposed to be secret. You were supposed to be able to see what was in those databases if you were in those databases. Am I correct? Yes, I,
3: but there were some narrow exceptions.
2: Right, law enforcement and things yes. like that. Yeah. Like
3: the FBI had a, uh, could keep secret who it was investigating while it was investigating them, yes.
2: Right.
0: But right. it couldn't collect stuff on First Amendment protected activities. And I remember in court, uh, the judge was kind of upset. Uh, we had one court hearing that I uh, attended, and the judge was saying he would be upset if, the s- if I was at a political demonstration, and there were files kept on that.
2: Right. So, so what happened? You took the case. He had filed the the lawsuit, and you took the case. So, what happened then? I think that in the
3: beginning, uh, didn't they? They said Dan, when you were still pro se, that they couldn't release anything in the file.
0: Right. Right. And couldn't tell me the even the date of the documents, uh, because I would uh, I could figure out where I was. <laughs> Uh, right. So I had to ge- go through a lawsuit to, ge- to get even the dates.
3: Right. And that was, you know, that was outrageous on the part of the government because what they figured was, oh, he's representing himself, so we'll get away with this. And the law is very clear that they have to give you the information in your file unless it's classified information. And if it's classified, they have to give you everything. You know they have to redact the parts, right? And so the first thing that we fought over was whether or not he would get his file. And as soon as I, as soon as I and the other ACLU lawyer show up in the case, they're like, "Oh, right, we we will give you <laughs> most of what we've had in the file on you."
2: Right. And so
3: then I've forgotten, Dan, whether or not we had a fight to get the rest of it, and whether finally we didn't get quite all of it, but
0: most of it, right? Well, they wouldn't give it to us until we settled. I couldn't get anything, basically. They did do the redactions because of John Weiner's case over the uh, John Lennon's file that was a precedent. They had to redact each section but then give a summary of it. So that was a fight over that, whether they would give us any summaries.
2: Did they give you any summaries?
0: They they did uh, one sentence for whatever it was about, and then eventually they gave us. But even in the document, they, they called me David at one point. when <laughs> My name is actually Daniel.
3: Right. So we were trying to figure out, what the file was about and why the file had been set up on him and then it became more and more clear that the file had been set up on him because they deemed him to be a critic of the cia Mm. and as dan mentioned the privacy act has this you know it's meant to prohibit secret databases it's meant to limit how much information the government can collect it gives people a right to collect, to correct their files. Right. But then it has this very specific protection that says the government may not collect information about the First Amendment activities of individuals, except if necessary for law enforcement purposes.
2: Right. And were they trying to say that there was some law enforcement purpose for collecting Dan's information?
3: Well, that was very interesting because it turned out that the cia lawyers and the bureaucracy had basically been paying no attention to this part of the law and they were kind of surprised <laughs> that the, they had the file they were surprised you know it's like one hand doesn't know what the other hand's doing exactly they don't know how they are interpreting the law so initially they say oh yes we're a law enforcement agency but in fact, the law could not have been clearer that the CIA was not a law enforcement agency. <laughs> and in fact, the CIA charter says that the CIA shall have no law enforcement functions inside the United States.
2: Right, because that's the FBI, right, and the Secret
3: Service. Exactly. And, it, and that prohibition on being a law enforcement agency was put in by President Truman uh, to protect civil liberties so that, In his words, you know, the CIA wouldn't turn into the Gestapo. Right. So we ended up having kind of extensive discussions with the lawyers for the CIA, which it was interesting because at that time, unlike now, they were willing to sit down with us and actually talk to us. And we discuss our view of why the law prohibited them from doing it. And they would answer about their view, and it became clear that they did not feel that they had a tenable position to keep the file on Dan. Right. And so at that point, we start settlement negotiations.
0: Now you also Didn't you also, sorry, didn't, uh, Kate, you also asked them to prohibit, uh, in terms of the settlement, prohibit spying on all Americans and permanent residents?
3: Yes. So the settlement, what we said... Was, well, let's talk about when, if ever, you would be entitled to keep files on Americans' First Amendment activities. We said basically, if someone, if an American was working for the CIA, then obviously the CIA can have a personnel file on them and it might have information about their First Amendment activities. If, and then we also agreed that if the CIA was investigating someone, as a potential spy, because when, for example, the CIA is worried that one of their people is spying, which has happened some fair number of times sure, over the last few sure, years, sure, sure, um, they investigated along with the FBI, and they would look at whether or not there were other people not working for the CIA who were in league with the the suspected spy. So we said. So, if you suspect someone of espionage, or, or you have you know some reasonable basis to suspect someone, or someone is working for you, then you can keep First Amendment information on them, but otherwise you can't. And they refused to agree to that in the settlement agreement.
2: Hmm.
3: What, what they did. Do and I, I don't know, Dan. Maybe you want to describe what they did agree to with regard to your file.
0: Th- they agreed to expunge the file and promise not to spy on me again.
2: And they, and how did you know that that was really going to happen? <laughs>
0: <laughs> actually, they were recruiting on campus uh, a few years later, and the recruiter actually, when I took a picture of him, he took out a camera and took a picture back of me. <laughs> And this is a recruiter, not a spy, supposedly. But he was a CIA recruiter.
2: Right. So what did you do about that? Did you did you tell them that, that there's a, an agreement that they can't spy on you?
0: Well I called Kate.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so what happened? Did that picture get
0: deleted or what? Do you dunno? We don't know what happened.
2: But we did have some discussions with them
3: about how they were going to in the future know that they had this prohibition. Right? And I've forgotten what the result of those was. Um It was interesting because a few years, not that, before 2001, though, later, when the CIA had a website, they put up on their website, remember, that they never kept files on Americans. Right. Which was so, you know, it was so weird because on the one hand... They wanted to tell the public, and, they, and the people putting it up on the website believed right. that they didn't keep files on Americans. Right, right. But the lawyers and the powers that be at the CIA were, oh, no, we're not going to agree never to keep files on Americans. And so we wrote a letter saying, well, that's not your legal position. Your legal position is that you are entitled to keep files on Americans, at least in these
2: circumstances, and they, so they should change. have been transparent about it and put it up on the website, right? And so they changed their uh, their website
3: after we protested that.
2: So does the website clarify under what conditions they will keep these files on Americans? You know, for for law enforcement or for spying, or if you work for the agency? I mean, does it actually say that? You know, my. Do you remember
3: Dan? No, they what took it. it
0: they. Originally, they had said that we they don't spy on Americans, and then you can uh, verify that fact by doing a privacy act request <laughs> <laughs> which is what <laughs> I had done. <laughs> but after Kate complained uh, and it got reported in some of the media in Washington, uh, they actually just took out that section
2: so So let me ask you something kate d did, did you know i'm I'm you know mediate and I really believe in settlement, but sometimes I just wonder if you really need to have a case that has, you know, uh, the, the, the wording out there for everyone to see, you know, that you really need to have it adjudicated by a court to say these statements so it sets a precedent. Did you feel like that in his case? I mean, this is before 9-11, so you, you didn't know this craziness was coming now. But did you ever have that feeling that the settlement really wouldn't be, um, you know, a precedent? I felt
3: pretty confident that they would abide by the settlement with regard to
2: Dan. Right, right. Um, but but it's such a huge issue for everybody, really. Anyway, I mean, even even us talking on this show right now, I don't know if they care about KUCI, but, you know, am I going to be spied on now because i got Dan sitting here and and I'm talking to you, Kate? Do you know what I mean?
3: Well, and, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting question. At the time, I was... Uh, pretty, pretty confident that in general, the CIA did not care about Americans. That You know, that they... The magazine that Dan had been associated with was associated with someone that they considered an actual traitor to the CIA Mm. and that they had been... You know, that that was kind of a unique circumstance for them. I see. But... Uh, on the other hand, if we could have had some fair uh, confidence that we would have won, we I think we would have, Dan and I would have, seriously considered litigating for just the reasons you just said. I see. Is okay. to get that agree- But even before 9-11, it was very difficult to win a case against the CIA. I see. And I brought a very similar case against the FBI who was a law enforcement agency but who had no good law enforcement reason for keeping the file on my client and I lost the case before 9-11 in the Court of Appeals Mm. on the grounds that they were keeping the information on him not for law enforcement purposes but for intelligence purposes and you never know when it might be useful in the future.
2: Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah, you got to keep all these databases because you never know. And isn't that what they're doing now? Myriad databases that they probably couldn't even find people when they need to find them because they've got so much on everybody. It's, it's insane.
3: Well, that's right. And it's the law at the moment is terrible because while the Privacy Act says you may not keep information except in the following circumstances, the way the courts have interpreted it It's toothless, and so there's very little legal prohibition on them keeping files on Americans, and they are assiduously collecting as much information as possible to keep files on Americans. And most of that collection in the United States is done by the FBI and local law enforcement, et cetera, but after September 11th in the Patriot Act, One of the things the Patriot Act did, which is not talked about so much, is that it required the FBI to make its files on Americans available to and accessible to the CIA and the NSA and the White House even. And that... All in the name of information sharing, you know, that there hadn't been enough coordination, mm. and right, et right. cetera, which was true. They did I not that, coordinate. That's what
2: the nine eleven Commission came up with, right, that, that there was no coordination. Right? right. But instead of looking
3: at the question in any kind of reasoned way and saying, is there some targeted, focused information sharing that would be helpful to counterterrorism, what the Patriot Act just said was all information that was, quote, foreign intelligence information, which the definition of which is much broader than you would think and covers many activities by many Americans, all such information has to be shared by the FBI with the CIA, et cetera. And the other thing that's happened is that when we brought Dan's lawsuit, you know, they did not have full te- text retrieval capability in their databases. Hmm. Right. Right, because so basically they would file information, at least at the FBI, and maybe Dan at the CIA, but I think at the CIA even, that they'd file information, they'd have an, they had a file on Dan. It was labeled Dan.
0: It's an index, yeah, by my name. Right.
3: Right. But they couldn't basically do, you know, a Google search and look... Hmm for Dan's name in every single document at the agency. Right. But now, both the FBI and the CIA, if they don't have that capability yet, they're working on it.
2: Well, not only that, you know, think about all of these data brokers that even if the government isn't collecting this information, you've got Axiom, you've got ChoicePoint, you've got LexisNexis, you've got these huge... Um, information brokers that are gathering this information and sharing it with the government. We know that. So right. that you know so if, if they d- wanted to look up something on Dan or Mari or Kate or Lloyd or anybody right now, they could just get a huge data profile on us. And, and it would be very easy. But I want to introduce you again because we're talking about such a critical issue. And I want them to hear who these celebrities are that I'm speaking with. And we are speaking with Kate Martin, who is all the way from Washington, D.C. She is an attorney and the director of the Center for National Security Studies. And she was actually the, uh, the attorney who represented our own DJ and uh, privacy advocate himself, Uh, Dan Sang, who is a researcher radio talk show host and he is the uh, host of subversity which is every Monday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. so let's let's go back about that what about the fact that we've got these huge databases that are being um, collected from private industry that is being shared with government
3: well I think that's a very big problem and one of the, what I understand about the way that arrangement works is that they have an agreement with Choice point for example where when the FBI wants to find out information about someone, it goes to Choice point and Choice point gives them the information. So the effect of that is that the choice point database even is not, governed by or subject to any of the Privacy Act rules.
2: Nor nor the Fair Credit Reporting Act.
3: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Even though, um, in essence, the Choice Point database functions as an FBI database because the FBI can get access to it whenever it wants. Exactly. The
0: the other thing that happened in my case was that the CIA turned over my file to a foreign uh, intelligence agency. Uh, oh. As a result of the interrog- interrogatories, in my case, they admitted turning it over. So
2: who did they, they share it with, Dan? They
0: didn't say what agency, and that's what's partly why they didn't want to give us the dates because they thought w- we could figure it out. Because I was ah. traveling in Europe, in the we finally got the dates, and I figured out I was traveling in Europe, but I didn't know what day. You know what I mean? What, what country yeah. I was in? I mean, so
2: could have been. A, you could have been arrested when you get off the plane right. in some other country.
0: So that was the scary part that they were routinely turning, apparently turning it over to another agency, uh, even though they're not supposed to collect this stuff.
2: So you you didn't get that information? You still don't know today who, who they shared it with?
0: It's uh, top secret. And the file that I, they did release to me said eyes only, which means it was only for the eyes of the, you know, they sent a request for the recipient, like the head of CIA and s- the field office, somebody. Uh, a station abroad somewhere. They sent a request to every f- station and every CIA station abroad if they had any information about me.
2: You know, I just wonder, this is this is something that would be really interesting. Have you done a background check on yourself? I mean, a, a criminal background? And we did and all that. Back?
0: Yeah, there was nothing. There are no files. There's no FBI investigation on me. There's nothing. We did all that as part of this whole case.
2: Oh, that's good. We okay. wrote to the
0: NSA, even National Security Agency. Right, right. Uh, to see if they had a file. Uh, uh, Kate's uh, colleague, Mark Sari, who is the other attorney in this case, uh, wrote that. I think.
2: Right. You know, Kate. I always worry about these these databases that are supposedly deleted. <laughs> you know, or or, you know, somehow they could get back. You know, uh, and and somebody else picks them up. And and that would be the worry, you know, just wondering if you would get, go in and get a whole background check from Choice Point. They, they might find <laughs> something back. I mean, we found things that was yeah. way, you know, when I did Lloyd's, we found things from way. It's a, remember, we did a background check and we saw something on there that was from like 20 years ago. It wasn't, it wasn't a criminal thing, but it was still stuff that is not supposed to appear. I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about. Yeah, some kind of vehicle violation. And, and that kind of stuff is, is not even supposed to be there, uh, and it won't be in your uh, DMV, but it'll be in your choice point.
0: We had a document that was an article in the Michigan Daily at U of Michigan where I went to school about this case, and it said, do not keep, destroy, do not keep, and we found it. <laughs> they released it eventually. The CIA released it. Apparently some domestic station of the CIA wrote an a uh, report about the article in the Michigan Daily and sent it to CIA headquarters, and it somehow it got retrieved.
3: You have to wonder whether or not our tax dollars are doing any good when they're clipping Dan's articles about, you know, Dan's lawsuit against the CIA.
0: And my first, uh, my association with COVID action was I indexed the first 12 issues. I was the
2: indexer. (laughs) Right. So it wasn't even like you had a, a strong opinion about anything at the time. You were just oh, I, d-
0: I did have an opinion, but it but was I mean, you weren't expressing it. it. Yeah, right. you weren't
2: really expressing it. So, Dan, how did you feel being the subject of this kind of surveillance? I mean, I was a
0: bit paranoid because even faculty on campus said they were afraid to talk to me. They didn't want to be seen. I'm talking afraid to be.
2: Me. Have you on this radio yeah. show? No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> 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 no, I mean, yeah. So, so. Until the the case was over, I mean, is that what you were? Did you feel better that that this was really going to be a done deal when the case was over? Did you really feel that confidence? No, I, I don't.
0: I don't trust them, obviously, and they never really showed what they did in terms of um, removing my file from the database. I'm not sure they actually did that.
3: And you know that that chilling is, of course, what the First Amendment is supposed to protect against. And yes. I, I think that especially for people like Dan, who travel internationally, you know, it's, it, well, things have, are different since 9-11. But before 9-11, you know, there wasn't any real worry that the CIA or the FBI was going to go after Dan in this country. But there is, once you travel internationally and they share the information with who knows which government, most of many of which are not trustworthy at all in terms of respect for the law or evidence or facts, et cetera or and that the u s government instead of protecting people is exposing them. And I think that has become even more of a problem these days.
2: You know, Kate, I, I also worry from from one who deals with a lot of people who have, had background checks for example that have erroneous information in it or mixed information from someone else I mean the fact that they would share this information and you can't see it to correct it you know with the information privacy principles that that are supposed to be guaranteed under the Privacy Act and that's what worries me also is that some database that might be created now about Dan or any of us um would have erroneous information that that would be picked up maybe by a foreign government or or even our government and and somehow um, you know put him in jeopardy for, for for anything in his life. I mean that that's that's a huge concern now, isn't it? after 911 with these huge databases? Oh, I think it's a huge concern. I think that in some ways it's
3: the biggest threat to liberty inside the U.S. is that not only do they have the Choice Point database and the uh, FBI has its own investigative data warehouse that has one billion records, yeah. but now they have these technological capability, as you know, to analyze and data mine all of those all of those databases in ways they never could before so they can put it all together. And, you know, they can try to come up with a computerized picture of who you are and what you do and all your activities and who you know and who you hang, you know, who knows them. And that kind of information in the hands of the government, you know, I think that the The people who wrote the Constitution basically understood that you can't count on individuals not to abuse power, and so you have to keep the power away from them, and we're giving it to them because they have it through these databases and, therefore, about the details of everyone's life. Right.
0: It had details of what I studied in school, where I went to school, what courses I took and, you know, m- what I majored in, that kind of stuff. And, you know, they, they, they actually did go through and do some research and got that information in there. And then uh, activist groups I founded at when I was at Temple University, I founded a group that was uh, doing kind of anti-surveillance work. And so they said that group was similar to COVID Action Information Bulletin. That mm. was the CIA memo said that.
3: Right. And so I think, Dan, didn't we, th- we suspected that, one of the motivations for looking at Dan was their view that maybe he wasn't an American, or right, maybe my last name, his last name, <laughs>
0: right, my right. last name, which it is
3: spelled with T S A you N know, G, right? Right.
0: Right. If I was Smith, I'm sure they wouldn't care.
3: Right. It, the they said
0: they did say they s- uh, one of the FBI, uh, CIA files said I was a Hong Kong-born Chinese. <laughs> so they did say that they d- did find that out,
3: right, and they had right. asked the State Department.
0: Oh, INS, INS, INS
3: for his citizenship status, and that was all. Ba- you know, that was all based on racism,
0: and yeah, my mother was born here, so I'm a citizen right, through my mother. Right, through
3: your mom, uh-huh. yeah. uh huh, yeah, and that's happening much more. Sure, you know, these days, right.
0: Um, People
3: who are first-generation immigrants or even sometimes second-generation immigrants are, I think, in much greater peril than they've been before.
2: Just by virtue of their name, right? Yes, and there's a
3: suspicion, and they now have the capability for the computers to pull out people's, you know, to sort names based on where the names might be from or what religion this name might designate, et cetera. Well, you and know, even when we
2: had even when we had the privacy officer uh, for TSA on on our show, you know, even that watch list has names that have really nothing to do with the people we were talking about. A fifteen year old that lives in our neighborhood, who has you know an Irish last name, <laughs> you know, but I guess it was something similar to the, the a name in the Irish Republican Army, and he can never you know get on a plane without losing his luggage and going through hell you know and that's just the TSA and then we had what was that other Ted Kennedy. yeah and Ted Kennedy even you know and then the, the other database about the instead of the no-fly list it was the the the, the no-buy list Nobody. we yeah um, that you if you had a name that even Cameron Diaz she had trouble she she can have trouble applying for a loan because her name is similar to some of these drug cartel names in uh, in Colombia so it isn't just Asian or Middle Eastern or, you know, they, we've got these crazy databases that that are um, throwing everybody into a pot that they're not even verifying who you are or authenticating who you are.
3: I think it's a real worry.
2: It is. I wanted to ask Dan, and, and you could talk about this too, Kate. You know, Dan, you're an activist. I mean, you said that right. you're an activist. and. and that that's a, a dirty word for for some people. So, um, I, in terms of that, what does that mean to you to be an activist?
0: Well, I think you need to have a healthy dose of uh, healthy paranoia. I think you, you, you can't be you know totally freaked out and not do anything because somebody maybe be spying on you. Um, one of the documents that I got from the overseas field station that was sent to the CIA director. Uh, actually has this quote, uh, Zhang indicated he works closely with CAIB. So they actually talked to somebody who reported that to them. So it was a real person that they actually talked to. So they could have talked to somebody I talked to uh, So they, that was reported. It could have been a phone uh, tap or whatever, although we didn't find records of that. Uh, so I think th- thing these things do go on, but you have to have a, you know, basically continue your work uh, and basically do it uh, legally uh, so yes. that they have no reason to um, put you in jail.
2: So what do you think that ramifications are of people speaking out and being activists?
0: I think people should continue to speak out, but they should be more careful about who they talk to sometimes in their private conversations and <laughs> be, be, be <laughs> more uh, paranoid there. <laughs> right.
2: So, so do you think, how do you feel about uh, having these op-ed pieces? What do you think? putting it in the media, doing things like what we're doing today.
0: No, I've written a lot of op-eds, and, you know, even on this case, I wrote a piece for the early times and I think that uh, is a way to educate people. Exactly. Uh, Not not everybody can speak out sometimes and so uh, you you want to maximize uh, your opportunity to uh, get the word out.
2: So what would you advise people, let's say, you know, the students that are on this campus, you know, uh, or the People who are driving by, who might be concerned about this, what would you advise them? After what you had gone through, what would you advise them to do?
0: Well, the solidarity in numbers, you know, if enough people speak out, even against this war, uh, you know, then maybe things will happen. You know, if we don't speak out and thi- are afraid, then the forces of evil will have succeeded.
2: Exactly, and and I mean, that's isn't that really Kate the uh, the whole purpose of our constitution is to be able to have freedom of speech.
3: Well, yes, and that it's the foundation of being able to make democratic decisions. Um, you know, I I admire what Dan does, and and what he and I agree with what he said because I, I think that for most citizens in this country, there is very little danger in speaking out, and that if you look at the pattern of who the government has gone after, that people who are not citizens and who are activists are in jeopardy, and that we who have the privilege of citizenship need to speak out to protect those who are in more jeopardy than we are. That, um, and then people who engage in civil disobedience, which of course is as old as our country, also, are in jeopardy. I think people who want to have, um, you know, demonstrations, political demonstrations, that while not violent, may be illegal.
2: Isn't that how our country was founded? I mean, didn't, weren't our founding fathers activists? Weren't they rebellious? I mean, that that's how they started this whole thing. I mean, that's well, they actually
3: <laughs> believed in, you know, revolutionary violence. <laughs> right, right, that, right. That violence for Appropriate ends was justified, so um,
2: yeah. And and they they were activists themselves, and and that was something you know. I mean, for them to even establish the Bill of Rights in our Constitution, here we are fighting in Iraq so that we could have freedom, and and yet at home, we're we're seeing the erosion of that freedom. And, and
3: I think it's interesting, you know, if you look at the historical parallels that during the Vietnam War when uh, the, there was no Democratic Party leadership opposing the war. You know, the opposition to the war was massive in the streets, but not among the elites. And there was enormous spying on the anti-war movement and even on the civil rights movement, on Martin Luther King, etc. Right, right. That I don't believe that that kind of massive spying is going on today of, the anti-war protesters or the anti-war movement. I think, though, that the people who are in jeopardy today are Muslim Americans and Arab Americans, and that in the name of counterterrorism, the surveillance apparatus is really targeting those people. And now, after the failure of the immigration bill, is targeting people, you know, the 12 million people who live and work here but who don't have papers, and that those are the, the government's targets at the moment. And the, the rest of us have a responsibility to speak up to protect everybody's rights.
2: Um, so Kate, what initiatives taken by, by this administration have been the most violative of our privacy and civil liberties? And, and and basically what what has the Center for National S- uh, Security Studies been doing about that?
3: Oh, the list is so long.
2: <laughs> I know.
3: <laughs> I hardly know. I mean, I I I think that rounding up and jailing 1100 people right after September 11th simply because they were Arab and Muslim was as un-American as we've ever been. And they did it in secret. They refused to release the names of people because they had no basis for picking them up other than that they were Arab and Muslims. That practice has ended. But then, of course, what they've done is they've claimed, and they've even done it twice, that they have the right to pick up citizens and non-citizens in the United States without any charges being filed against them, have the military hold them incommunicado, without access to a lawyer, without access to court, and without any trial, if the president claims that they're enemy combatants. Mm.
2: And
3: that's extraordinary. Then you have the president claiming that he has, claiming in secret, of course, that he has the right to expressly ignore the prohibitions in the law on spying, on intercepting telephone conversations without a warrant. Right. And so that's the NSA surveillance program, which we don't know how widespread it was. But the thing I think that's truly troubling about that program, whether it was assuming that it was somewhat limited in actual practice, is that the underlying presidential power claim they made about that program was that in the name of national security, the president can do whatever he likes, including commit crimes. It was a crime for the NSA to spy on Americans without a warrant, and the president claimed that even though torture is a crime, he would have the authority to order torture when he thought it was necessary. Now, they will say, no, no. The president never ordered torture, and he never authorized torture. Even accepting that, what they did was, and they still, to this day, claim that he has the power to do that. And you know, those are the claimed powers of a dictator. I was just going to say. I
2: mean, when you when you would say that without saying it was our country, people would say, "Oh, that's Russia," or that's you know, a communist country or that's a dictatorship in South America or something. That That is what's so terribly frightening is this secrecy. And I remember when we had the director, uh, Jim Dempsey, from the Center for Democracy and Technology, and he was talking about the FISA court and how there were so few, I mean, first of all, it's so easy to get the warrant for for whatever they needed. And the, the whole FISA issue, the FISA court issue, was, was pretty amazing. Yeah, D- Dan wants to say
0: yeah, something. Yeah, I actually uh, interviewed the F- uh, chief judge of the FISA court uh, oh, a did. few weeks ago. Oh, good. And he said that the FISA statute supersedes the Privacy Act and all other laws, which cannot be true. Because but at least know, with
2: the FISA, I, I mean, mean <laughs> at least you have to get some, you yeah, know. Yeah, under the uh, FISA, there's
0: certain conditions whether they can c- get this surveillance on you, right? So it doesn't actually supersede uh, your First Amendment activities. Uh, I mean, y- that's still protected. Uh, I don't think. Well,
2: but it's for I- they're they're claiming a a criminal reason, right? I mean, help us out in this one, Kate, right. with the with the FISA court. Well,
3: basically, what FISA says is that the government can carry out secret intercepts of Americans' conversations and secret searches of their houses for national security reasons, but only when the FISA court uh, issues a warrant and finds that there's probable cause that the person they're going after is engaged in terrorism or espionage, etc.
0: Right. And in my case, I d- I'm not a terrorist. I'm not a... Star. No.
2: No, no. you weren't. And, and, and it's unlikely d- that they would have been able to get a search so p- warrant Privacy for you. the Privacy Act
0: still applied to me. It didn't get superseded.
2: No. Because, because there was no criminal uh, allegation with you. Right. But they didn't.
3: What they The surveillance that they carried out on Dan and the collection of information right. that they did is not covered by the FISA, the FISA right. is limited to interceptions of phone calls and emails and to secret physical searches of your house. So it didn't come into play there. I mean, it, it the FISA, which has been around since 1978, has always had... Uh, aspects of it, which we've been troubled by in terms of their constitutionality, mainly the secrecy that is secret forever.
2: Right, because there's really no oversight over
3: them, right? Exactly. And nevertheless, this president said, oh, well, I don't even need to go to the secret court to get a secret warrant. I can just do it in secret on my own say so.
2: And and that was weird because they could even go ahead, if I understood correctly, and have 72 hours, even after they started the, sur- the surveillance, to be able to um, get the warrant. And and so few of the warrants were ever even denied. Am I correct?
3: That's right. I, I it, You know, we don't know because they've refused to say, but it doesn't look like the reason he did that is he could not have gotten a warrant. Right. What it looks like is that the president and the vice president wanted to claim and assert as much power for the president as possible. And this was their occasion to do that. And so, you know, this basic proposition that if something is necessary for the national security, you do it in the narrowest way possible in order to protect civil liberties, right? Right, So right. you go get the warrant. No, that's not there. They, they don't subscribe to that they subscribed to the president should have whatever power the president deems useful for national security purposes. And that, of course, has been the claim of almost every tin-pot dictator in Latin America for the last 50 years.
2: Yeah, and you know, I mean, in the name, I think they're using fear. And and obviously, none of us want to have another 9-11, and we're, we're hearing about these gut feelings that... There's going to be some horrible thing happen. and you know in 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 the name of security, that we should be willing and happy to give up our civil liberties when it isn't really necessary. And, and And that's the thing that I think is is so critical is that it does you know the the there's no correlation in many of these things that they're doing. Well, I think that's the
3: scariest thing,
2: is that? Instead
3: of, take right after September 11th, instead of the administration looking hard at what they did and didn't do, and so how they made the mistake of missing the hijackers, they go to Congress immediately and say, oh, we want more power, and we need the Patriot Act.
2: Right.
3: And I have, you know, as a student of this, I have very little confidence that the energy and the resources of the bureaucracies are really focused on, listen, maybe there's five or 50 or maybe even 100 would-be terrorists in this country. How do we find them? That is not what they're focused on. That's a very hard problem. And i don't hear any talk by the administration about that instead it's all about you know we need the tools to be able to look at all three hundred million people in this country like if that's the best you can do then i'm worried
2: yes and you know what i'm worried because we need to have you back on lloyd is telling me we are just would you believe this time has just flown First of all, I'd like you to just give your website again, and um, we've been speaking here with uh, Kate Martin, and she is an attorney and the director of the Center for National Security Studies. Just give your website so we can learn more about all the great things you do and maybe get you some donations.
3: Great. It's
2: www.cnss.org. And we're also speaking with our brave activists here, um, Our own, one of our own right here, our DJ, Dan Sang, who is the host of Subversity every Monday uh, from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. right here on KUCI. Dan, why don't you give your website as well?
0: Yeah, it's kciorg slash D-T-S-A-N-G.
2: And, and just go to, you can just look on the schedule and click on his website. And we thank you, Kate, for joining us. And we will keep in touch. You're terrific. Thank God. And keep up with the great work, both of you. Thank you. Okay, good night. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, your host of Privacy Piracy. Please join us every week here from 5 to 6 p.m. and visit our website at org slash privacypiracy where you can see our previous guests, download our podcast, and Lloyd's going to kill me. Thank you, Lloyd, for being a great engineer. Good night.